Hi, I'm Jessie, your host of the Jessie Williams podcast. I'm an entrepreneur and business mentor bringing you fun and thought-provoking conversations around money, wellness, business, life, and personal development. This is the space where humor meets depth and no topic is off limits. Let's fuck shit up. Hello, Demi, and welcome to the podcast. Hello. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited to be here. We're going to talk about periods and stuff. I'm very excited. And what's so exciting is just for like anyone listening, Demi and I actually first connected in 2018. And at that time, like we would like occasionally voice message each other and things like that, but we've actually never seen each other face to face. So it feels really cool to just be like actually kind of like sitting in front of you having a conversation. It doesn't feel like we haven't met face to face because I see your beautiful face all the time. Yes. <laughs> so that's the power of, of social media. <laughs> it is. Yeah. We all feel like we know each other very well. Um, so for our listeners, can you kind of just give a little bit of a rundown of like who you are and what you do? I am an ex-teacher turned period educator. So I was a high school teacher and loved working with young people and my interests outside of work were health. I loved learning about health. I loved learning about the body. And then when I was uh, about to get married, actually back in 2017, I realized I don't, I don't know any options other than the pill for contraception. And I really don't want to be someone that takes the pill for my whole life. So I started looking into alternatives and that's when I found the fertility awareness method, which like, like I've now been using for the last six years. Um, But in learning that method, I actually didn't sign up for this, but I learned a whole lot about my menstrual cycle that like people just don't know. Like I went and told my friends what I learned and, and they didn't know it either. And they were running off to the doctor thinking they had infections every month. Um, Friends who had had kids didn't even realize how many holes they had down there, which sounds silly, but like, Mm. if we're not taught, we're not taught. And as a teacher, I, It made so much sense for me to teach this to students so that then they don't have to grow up not knowing all the things that we wish we learned in school. So for the past six years, I've been doing menstrual health educations in schools uh, with Bright Girl Health. Bright Girl Health is uh, the business that I founded and it's lots of fun. We do them online and face-to-face all over Australia. Um, And one of the best things is when kids come up to me and they're like, you make having a period sound like a really fun, good thing. And I'm like, yes, that's exactly right. I'm doing my job because periods, we could look at them as something negative and horrible and annoying, but we can also look at them as a really intelligent, cool function of our body that gives us so much insight into our health. So uh, that is essentially what I do. I love that you said like you look at it almost as something that can give you insight into your health because that's almost how I started looking at at my cycle and obviously I'm now not having a period being pregnant but you know when I was having periods and things like that I almost like in a weird way would get a little bit excited to get my period every month because I would be you know testing and everyone obviously has the symptoms that are more natural or they're more prone to so mine was more like breast tenderness and things like that so when I would get a cycle and like my boobs wouldn't be sore I was like yes like something's right like I'm eating well and I'm exercising and my body's like thanking me so So like super, super cool. And even what you said, like so many people just not having awareness and not having an understanding. And we were obviously having a chat earlier before we started recording today. And I was saying how when we started chatting in 2018 and I first came across you, I didn't even know about the different phases of a period. Like I was just like, 
you either aren't on your period or you are on your period. There's two phases. Um, but yeah. I would love, would you like to just educate people around like the different phases that we actually go through within our cycle? I would love to. So let's start off by differentiating this, the word menstrual cycle and the word period, because most people use them as the same word and they have a very different meaning. So menstrual cycle is the entire time between one period and another. So another way of saying that is it's literally every single day. And if, unless you're pregnant, or unless you're on the uh, any form of hormonal contraception that takes you out of that cycle, or unless you've hit menopause or perhaps even like had a hysterectomy or had your ovaries removed and you're not cycling anymore. But other than that, you are at some point in some phase of the menstrual cycle every single day. So doesn't it make so much sense to pay attention to what our body is doing and to support our body throughout the menstrual cycle on every single day. Mm. So menstrual cycle means every day, period just means the days that we're bleeding. Now, if we added up all the days that we're bleeding over our entire lifetime, so we got rid of all the non-bleeding days and we just smushed together all the bleeding days, that would equal seven years insane it's such a long time if everyone just wants to think back to what you were doing seven years ago like I was working as a full-time teacher I had short blonde hair now I've got really dark long hair um I I wasn't married and now I've been married to my husband for six years I was a completely different person Mm. and so if everyone thinks back to who you were and where you were in life seven years ago and you think about every everything that you've done in those last seven years it's a really long time and there are people who live that that time those seven years with a lot of shame and guilt around their period or just at odds with their body believing that their body is doing something annoying and frustrating rather than embracing that seven years of their life and then there are people who have endometriosis or PCOS or they have fibroids and they have a really horrible period experience and they spend that seven years or even more because endometriosis will impact you between periods, mm-hmm. um, spend that seven years plus in horrible pain, feeling like there's nothing that they can do about it. So if we learn about the phases of the, of the cycle, we can learn a little bit more to just embrace it and work with it rather than fighting against it. And then, of course, treatments for things would come later. So if we looked at the menstrual cycle as a timeline, let's imagine a timeline. We've got day one, which is when our period bleed begins. So day one of the timeline, your period starts. And then maybe your period's finished by like day five, six, seven. Um, The average is four to seven days that we would bleed for. And then the timeline keeps going along and it will finish whenever you get your period again. Now, some people have the beautiful, typical 28 day cycle, but that's not the majority of us. A lot of us will have a cycle that's either shorter or longer than that, or a cycle that fluctuates in length from cycle to cycle. And that's totally fine as well, because life happens. And this can be influenced by things that happen in our life, like moving house or having an exam period or having just a really um, tough time at work or things going on at home. And all of those things can influence um, ovulation being delayed and then our cycle being longer and our period being delayed. So no matter how long your cycle goes for, there's always going to be these four phases or we can actually split those four phases or simplify them into two. So the two phases would be before ovulation, 
and after ovulation. Mm. Ovulation is when an ovary releases an egg and we have all the eggs we will ever have housed in our ovaries when we're born and each cycle one sometimes maybe two will be released at ovulation time now before ovulation that's what we're going to call our follicular phase and after ovulation that's what we're going to call our luteal phase Mm. and our hormones in the follicular phase and in the luteal phase are so so different and so we're going to feel so so different because chemically in our body our hormones are doing different things and so that gives me a lot of peace of mind when I'm realizing hey this week I'm finding it really hard to concentrate on work Mm. and I don't feel as social and I actually have a bit of breast tenderness or some tiredness that wasn't there last week and you could take two approaches to feeling like that you could beat yourself up you could blame your body for feeling like that and why aren't you feeling great like you were last week or you can recognize hey this is part of my menstrual cycle this is the part of the ebbs and flows that are reflective of what's happening chemically inside my body in my luteal phase after ovulation hormones have done like a big change a big flip and they're not the same so it makes sense that I'm not feeling the same And then the other way to look at it as well is just like you mentioned before, if you've got more breast tenderness than before, then perhaps that's a little bit of a sign from your body, like patting you on the shoulder saying like, hey, I have this symptom for a reason. It's not there for nothing. It's there because I'm trying to tell you I need a little bit of support in it. My hormones need support or maybe you're going a little bit too hard and need some more rest. And so we can look at all of these symptoms as a sign from our body trying to communicate to us. This is really cool. And in terms of that, of like the body sort of communicating, what's somewhat your philosophy around what that's communicating and how we support rebalancing that? Because obviously there's a lot of different philosophies. You know, you've got Mm. Chinese herbal medicine, what they kind of believe about the body. Like there's a lot, there's more like scientific like approaches. What do you look at when there's certain, let's use the analogy of symptoms. When symptoms come forward, what's your approach to looking at those, addressing those, and then knowing what's actually required in order to bring those symptoms down? The very first step is recognizing that they're there to tell you something because a lot of people are just told periods are supposed to be horrible. They're supposed to be painful. And Mm. then so because we're told that from a really young age, from our families or from schools, we just accept that, oh, okay, I just have to be miserable all the time just because I have a uterus. Yeah. And whether we realize we've accepted that or not, most of us have accepted that all of these symptoms are just the way it is. So we actually don't pay attention to what they might mean. So the first step is realizing, hey, there are a lot of people who have really balanced hormones Uh, who don't experience breast tenderness, who don't experience period pain, who don't experience PMS, and they have a really lovely period experience. And that could be you too, with a little bit of work and addressing any underlying medical conditions or underlying hormone imbalances. Now, I'm not a medical professional. um, So what I say is connect with the right person who can give you the right help. What we need to do is when we see those symptoms, 
We first recognize that they're there to tell us something, and then we need to connect with the right person who can interpret what they're trying to say to us. Mm. So a lot of the times our first visit might be to our family doctor, our general practitioner, our GP. Uh, That person may or may not have specialized in hormones and periods and reproductive health. They may have, and that's awesome, but most GPs don't. And that's fine. It just means we need to change our expectation. They may not be the best person to help us. They may not have all the answers. And prescribing the pill is not an answer. It is one of the tools you can use, but it's not identifying the root cause. So who can help you identify the root cause? You can get your GP to uh, to refer you to a specialist, to refer you to an endocrinologist, that's a hormone specialist, um, maybe a doctor who does specialize in endometriosis and PCOS. It could be a gynecologist, it could be a naturopath, it could be a Chinese medicine doctor. There's so many different routes you could go. And because everyone's so different, everyone's unique philosophy of health and approach that they prefer is different. Um, you've got to go with what feels right for you. Um, But ask the practitioner, whichever practitioner you're going to work with, ask them, are you able to help me find the root cause and address the root cause? If they can't find and address the root cause, they're just not the right fit for you and move on to somebody else. There's no harm in getting a second or third opinion. Uh, Find the person who can help you Uh, address the root cause because that's where you're going to be able to be free of all the symptoms. Mm, I think this is really cool and kind of like what you said is just like trusting who's going to be right for you and working with someone that you feel safe with you feel um, you know like it, it aligns with like your values and things like that and above all like is it working for you um, and I know that was a big thing for me and I obviously went down the Chinese medicine um, route and that was like so incredibly helpful um, combining acupuncture with I actually worked with a Chinese um, medicine herbalist who specializes for specialized sorry in fertility health so she had like a a lot of knowledge in that area which was fantastic but obviously coming back to the symptom conversation what Mm. symptoms are let's just use the word normal um during a period versus what are things where it's like that might be common but it's not necessarily normal and you actually have the power to to control that let's go with a period first and then we can talk about the rest of the menstrual cycle so a typical period will last for four to seven days shorter bleeds than four days are sometimes not even true periods Mm. so we can bleed at ovulation time it might be a day or two of spotting really light spotting we can also bleed uh, for other reasons and so one of the things that you learn when you learn fertility awareness which I can talk a little bit about today is how to identify ovulation and a period will always follow ovulation. So if ovulation didn't happen two weeks before, this bleed is not a period. Mm. So four to seven days is the average uh, amount that we will bleed. Now, over those four to seven days, we will lose a certain amount of blood, the average amount of blood. Okay, so if you imagine we've got three different Uh, cups we've got a shot glass we've got like a regular drinking glass that might be around like 250 mils and then we've got like a water bottle like one of those water plastic water bottles you might buy from the shop question for you jesse if you were to use one of these three things to measure out all the blood that you would lose over the four to seven days of your period if you had an average blood loss which would you use i Oh, that's such a good question. I would feel mine's closer to the shot glass, if not the the 
250 mil, but closer to the shot glass. Yeah, it's the shot glass. Okay, yeah. Yeah, which most people will cl- uh, choose the 250 mil, the one yeah. in the middle. It is a bit of a safe option as well. And that might be accurate for someone who has a heavy period. Mm. We definitely don't lose water bottles yeah. uh, full of blood on our period, although it can look like it's a lot more than it is when it's spread over a pad or it's soaked up in a tampon. But we actually only lose about three to four tablespoons worth of blood over the whole four to seven days of our period. So it's not as much blood as what people think. Now, we don't go bleeding into shot glasses. So how does each person know if they're losing the average amount or not? A good way to tell is if you're able to use a pad or a tampon for four to three to three to seven, three to eight hours without it being in danger of leaking because you're just bleeding so much that it's going to leak. Mm-hmm. So a good way to know if you've got a heavy period is if you have to change that paddle tampon every one, two or three hours. And when it gets to that point, you're desperate to change it because it's about to leak because it's so full. Mm-hmm. That's a good way to know that you've got a heavy period. Yeah. I think that's a that's a really interesting um, and such a great description of that because I think in the past I used to use um, tampons where it was like more recently I've shifted to like a cup or period underwear and I think when I was using tampons I would have assumed that my period was not de- definitely not heavier but heavier than it was and when I actually shifted to the cup I was amazed when I would empty the cup I'm like is that all um, mm. so it was really interesting because I I feel like the tampon can obviously like soak up, whereas like the cup, it's just, it, it's in there. So I think even having like that analogy. And so if you had have asked me if I'd never used a cup, I probably would have assumed it was more the 250 mil, but having used a cup, I'm like, mm, no, it's probably a shot glass. So I think that's like such, such a great example as well. I love cups and cups are also not supposed to get a hundred percent full. No. So a lot of people think that they're going to like spill over inside you and get worried about that. So when you use a cup, that's only going to get about half full on my heavy, heaviest day personally. And if someone had a heavy period, it just might mean they need to change their cup more often. So again, if you're looking to figure out if you've got a heavy period or not with a cup, ask the question, can you go the whole day? So about eight hours and that cup not overflow. Mm. If you can, it's likely that you've got more of an average blood loss. And if you can't, if you've got to change it before eight hours is up, because it's like too heavy and it's, it's getting really full, then that's a good sign that you've got a heavy period Mm. now heavy periods often can come along with clots as well so that's another thing about a average menstrual cycle or an average period is that it doesn't come along with big clots so clots can range from the size of like a sultana to the size of like a mandarin i know people who have past mandarin size clots and it doesn't that sound horrible? And that's part of why I say you don't have to accept these symptoms as just part of having a period. This was definitely her body, like tapping her on the shoulder saying like, hey, pay attention to me. Something's not right. And she did pay attention and she was able to recognize that her thyroid needed attention, which a thyroid can also um, play into you having extremely heavy periods or clots as well, um, even irregular bleeding. So bleeding 
more than every four weeks or however often you have your period. Um, and some of these bleeds, like I mentioned before, may not be true menstrual periods, meaning that ovulation didn't happen about two weeks before them. So just another reason why when we actually tune into all of these um, patterns that our body should be taking um, and we know what's average and we know what's typical we know what's not and even when we start to chart our cycles we can actually really recognize things that maybe are pointing us towards something that needs to be addressed so super helpful the next thing about an average period is that ovulation should always happen about two weeks before now ovulation is when an ovary releases an egg like i mentioned and it should happen regularly it should happen each cycle it is possible to get an ovulatory cycles. That means it's a cycle where ovulation didn't happen and you bled anyway because your uterus just wasn't able to keep all that blood um, there. And so that we might have some of those, I don't know, maybe once a year, once every two years, some people have them more often. One every now and then isn't a cause for concern. But if we're constantly having anovulatory cycles, that could be pointing us towards something as well, maybe something like PCOS. So this is why charting your cycle and charting ovulation can also be really helpful because it helps you to know if a bleed was a true period and if you might need to look into something like PCOS. So ovulation should always happen about two uh two weeks 11 to 17 days before your period and you can track ovulation using basal body temperature and cervical mucus and i can talk a little bit about that later on as well um the last thing about a average or typical period is that it shouldn't come along with any extreme symptoms mm. and yes we'll of course we're going to expect maybe some discomfort and some heaviness in our lower pelvic region your endometrium the innermost lining of the uterus is coming off the wall of the uterus and it's exiting the body and so our uterus has to contract slightly in order to push that out so we're going to feel something but we shouldn't have extreme symptoms that leave us crying on the bathroom floor or unable to come to work if we're relying on pain medication just to get through our day that's also not average you don't have to accept that as your normal and just the way it is just because you have a uterus so just because these things might be common these extreme symptoms maybe even it's extreme brain fog or extreme emotions none of the extremes are typical i i love that we're just normalizing that periods get to be healthy happy all the things which makes me so happy and and obviously i definitely want to come back to the ovulation conversation but before we kind of go there i would also love to talk about um the difference between periods that are I'm just going to use the word um, through natural versus a hormonal uh, period. So using something like the contraceptive pill, things like that. There's obviously other things like um, the marina and whatever. What's the difference between someone having a period using, you know, something like the pill versus doing something like the fertility awareness method as an example? It's so frustrating that we don't get told when we're prescribed these things that the bleeds that we experience on hormonal birth control are oftentimes not true periods. Mm. And maybe it's because it requires a little bit of a conversation and a little bit of education. And I think we deserve that, but it's often not given. Mm. So let me tell you what perhaps you never learned from your doctor when the pill was being prescribed or the merino was being prescribed. Um, when we're taking hormonal birth control, the whole point of it is to stop us from ovulating so that we don't get pregnant. Yep. Now, 
not everyone takes it for contraception. Some people take it to help with their period symptom. And I just want to preface uh, the rest of this little section talking about hormonal birth control in that I'm not anti hormonal birth control. What everyone uses has to be determined by them if it's right for them. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people, especially people with endometriosis, need it to get through their life because it might be the only thing that provides them any relief to get through their day and function in society. However, it's really important to know that these things aren't a fix for things like endometriosis, PCOS, painful periods, heavy periods, thyroid conditions. It's not a fix, but it can be really useful in helping people get through their day, which is so important and so valuable. A lot of us just don't get taught what the how they work, what that means, and the cons and the side effects. So because, say, the pill or hormonal IUD or the patch or the uh, injection, they stop us from ovulating so that we can't get pregnant. Because of that and because we don't ovulate, when we bleed, we're not actually having a true period because, remember, I've said a true menstrual period is when ovulation has happened about two weeks beforehand. Now, you might still bleed. And when you take the pack of pills, you'll take about 21 days of hormone pills. And then you'll take about seven days of non-hormone pills. There's no hormones in those pills at all. The only reason you take them is so that you don't get out of that habit Mm. of taking them, because it's really important to still take your pill at the same time every day, because otherwise its effectiveness decreases. And so when you take those non-hormone pills, there's no hormones being put into the body that day. And the hormones that the pill usually delivers on the 21 days of hormone pills are estrogen or and or progestin, which is a synthetic form of progesterone. Now, you can take a combined pill with both of those things or you can just take the progestin only pill um, and or the mini pill. Now, when you're not getting those for those seven days of non-hormone pills, there's no hormones there and it's their role to keep that lining of the uterus in place. So when they're all of a sudden not there, there's no hormones that told the uterus to keep that lining there and it sheds it. So essentially it's a withdrawal bleed, a withdrawal from these hormones. Now, I don't want to minimize how it might feel because those periods can still feel painful and those those bleeds can still feel like a normal menstrual period. You are still going through the same process of your uterus contracting and, and the blood leaving your body. And I definitely don't want to minimize that experience but ovulation didn't happen two weeks before so it's not a true menstrual period now with other forms of uh, hormonal birth control like the um, implant the injection uh, the patch you may or may not bleed um, and they may or may not cause your bleeding patterns to be irregular Uh, and that can be one of the side effects is irregular bleeding you you might stop bleeding altogether say with a hormonal IUD or you might bleed irregularly and each person kind of reacts differently and might have a different experience and so this is why I say that from month to month to month reassess whether your birth control is still serving you in a positive way because one month it might be the best thing and you're not reacting and you're not getting many side effects and it's really helping you and it's helping to improve your life but the next month might be different 
what you need from it the next month might be different. Say if you're not needing it for contraception anymore, or say if you're, you've got a new route to go down to help with your endometriosis. And maybe in the next month, it's giving you more side effects. You're starting to experience more side effects. And now the cons list outweighs the pros list. And so continually check in with yourself and say, is my birth control still serving me positively? The other thing that I really want to encourage everyone about is that you have the right to ask for all the information about any drug before it's prescribed. Mm -hmm. A lot of doctors, and it's not just with birth control, will prescribe a drug without taking you through these things. And I understand that sometimes it might be a time thing, but you can always ask. And I always encourage people to ask about the pros, the cons, the side effects, the risks, and the alternatives. Are there any alternatives to this? Oftentimes, fertility awareness is not given as a valid alternative, um, but it absolutely is for a lot of people. For some people, it might not be what's right for them, just like for some people, the pill not be, might not be right for them, but it's absolutely a valid alternative. And then if you're not satisfied with the answer you get from your medical professional, here's what you need to do. Find the name of the drug, and this doesn't even need to be birth control. This could be any drug you're ever prescribed in your life. Put the name into Google and then type in prescribing information. And one of the first things that pops up should be the PDF pamphlet for that drug. And in that pamphlet, you can read about adverse effects and you can read about side effects. You can read about what is in it and how it works. Because if your doctor never told you that your pill was going to stop ovulation and therefore make you infertile while you're taking it and mean that you don't have a menstrual cycle, well, this is essentially going to tell you about that. So always look up the prescribing information. Um, just type in the name of the drug and then prescribing information on Google. I love all of this because really what it's doing, it's like it's pro-education. So it's it, And what I feel like, you know, when I look back to my journey with like the contraceptive pill and things like that, I really think around, I only thought there was one option and I thought, or the other options were your doctor would just tell you what to do. So even I had friends who had like the rod put in their arm and things like that, because that's what their doctor told them was best. My doctor only gave me the pill as the option. And I thought that was the only option. Um, and I think it's really just about going, okay, cool. Maybe it is going to be the best option for you, but do you have the education and the information for you to make an informed choice about what's best? And I do know for me that you know, when I went on the pill initially, I went through a period and then I remember um, hitting a point maybe like after being on it for two and a half years of like wanting a break and I'm doing that in air quotation marks. And when I had a break, my periods were so incredibly painful. And I went back to the doctor and I said, I'm having very painful periods. And he said, go back on the pill. So that's what I did. And I was probably on the pill for about another two and a half years. And then um, I came across you. And when I came off the pill, my periods were so excruciating again. But this is when I decided to go down kind of the path of, okay, well, why are they excruciating? What's that telling me? Um, and that's what really led me down the path of uncovering that I had endometriosis, which I, I wouldn't have known otherwise, because whilst I had other, you know, what felt like symptoms when I was having the withdrawal bleeds and things like that, I could have potentially mood swings or whatever um it was it was a lot more pain when I was having 
you know, a hormone-free period um, or a true bleed. And and that's really what kind of gave me the indication of I was getting kind of the postcard from my body. And, and it gave me the ability to start looking and uncovering those things. And I think that was really important for me. Again, we kind of spoke about this before, but me now being pregnant, it was such an integral part of my journey to uncover my endometriosis, be able to have surgery, have that removed, like be able to really get my period to a healthy place. And a lot of people especially people with endometriosis, are always really amazed to hear that I got to a point where I was actually, I had my last four or five periods pre-conception were uh, pain medication free. So my my last, yeah, so I had got, I'd got to a point where it was like maybe Panadol once on the first day. Um, but then, yeah, my last four periods um, pre getting pregnant were actually like completely um, like nothing and even to the point, not even a heat pack, just like just the mild cramps. Um, and people were shocked that I could have had endometriosis and had that happen. So I think it's really cool of just people having that education. How good is that that you were able to do that? And 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 I love that you shared that because it's just hope for the people who do have endometriosis and everyone's endometriosis is different. However, how great that there's hope that you were able to get it under control by working with the right people. So did you work with your naturopath? Sorry, uh, you said Chinese medicine doctor and you did acupuncture? Yeah, so I had acupuncture and Chinese um, medicine doctor initially and then I went through a gynecologist who did a laparoscopy for my surgery. Um, the surgery helped massively, but I was still having a lot of pain. Um, and then after that, I worked with a specialist who specializes in like reading blood work and analyzing blood work and, and finds root causes that way. So I went on kind of like a supplement protocol, changed my nutrition. Um, and obviously I'm not a medical professional, but based on the professional I was working with, he advised that gluten would be one of the best things I could cut out for endometriosis. He said a lot of people with endo um, have more flare-ups when they're consuming gluten so cutting gluten out of my diet like all the things just followed what he advised based on my blood work what was best and yeah that's really what got it to to a whole new level of of feeling so much better which was great that's awesome and I'm so happy for you and it really just shows how having the right team Mm. to help you who were experts and specialists in that area was actually able to make all the difference for you and it does sound like your pills served you for the time that you were on it in helping you to get through your life without that extreme pain but it also is a really good example of when the pill or any type of hormonal birth control can just be a big band-aid and when you take that band-aid off there's still going to be all the issues there. So for people who initially go on the pill because of heavy periods or long bleeding or really painful periods or even really bad PMS, it just means that when you come off, those issues are still going to be there and you're still going to have to do the work to find the root cause and address the root cause. And I mean, if you could do both things simultaneously, you could be taking the pill because you can't get through your day because of your endometriosis, but at the same time, you're actively seeking out who can help you with that so that you don't have to rely on hormonal birth control to actually get through your life. And I think what's really important, I think like off the back end of what you said as well, is when I first started uncovering all of this and you really were my introduction into into this world, which was incredible. But even the first person I went and saw, which was my Chinese medicine 
herbalist, I didn't come off the pill until I went and had sessions with her and got informed. And I asked her, is there anything I should do in the lead up to coming off? And she basically told me that it's different for every client. She's like, I will have some clients come to me on, and I'm just going to use the example of the pill because that's what I was on. She said, I'll have some clients that will come to me on the pill and I will advise them to stay on it for another four or five months whilst we do things to prepare them to come off. And then she said, other clients, I'll say, stop it tomorrow. And based on what I was doing with my nutrition, my health and things like that, she advised that I could come off with my next cycle, which was great. So I did that. But I think also that of like knowing sometimes you don't have to do it alone and you can be informed um, and make sure that you're doing it in a way that you are getting the best support. Because that was really important for me of like, okay, if I'm going to come off this thing, I know that there's going to be a bit of a transition period. And I wanted to have as much information and support I could for that transition. Um, off that, something I would love to ask and, and coming back there is we've obviously had a bit of a conversation around true bleed versus not a true bleed. Um, and you kind of alluded to, we have a true bleed when we ovulate. And if we're not ovulating, it's not necessarily true bleed. So how does someone know for, for someone that's like, they're getting a period at the end of every month or so they think whether it's a, a true bleed or not. And they're like, well, I'm bleeding. So I just assumed I'm ovulating. How can they actually confirm ovulation happened? So this is all of what fertility awareness is about. So if you haven't heard of fertility awareness, fertility awareness is just tracking your menstrual cycle so you can identify when and if you ovulate. And the tools that we use to do that um, in the symptothermal method of fertility awareness is basal body temperature and your cervical mucus. So it's called symptothermal because symptom, the symptom we're observing is our cervical mucus and symptothermal, the other thing that we're observing is our temperature. That's where the thermal part comes in. So personally, what I do is every single day, I track my basal body temperature and I observe cervical mucus. And when I put that into my period tracking app and I put it into my chart, I know how to interpret my chart to know if ovulation has or hasn't happened. So I started doing this six years ago um, and I, I wanted it to be my sole form of birth control. And now six years later, I've been using it as my sole form of birth control this whole time, which means I don't have to take hormonal birth control. Um, and I like that was my personal choice for me. Um, and I don't have any regrets at all. It's really nice to not have to worry and rely on that. Um, and it's been effective as well. So uh, last year, after using it for all this time, I decided to train to actually be an instructor to teach other people as well. So I am a NFPTA certified instruction instructor in this. So what I will do with people is that we'll get you starting to track your baseball body temperature first. Every single day at the same time, you're going to, when you wake up, put your thermometer in your mouth. And you need to do this at the same time. So it's the most accurate. And you also need to do it after three to four hours of consecutive uninterrupted sleep. Now, if this isn't possible, this doesn't rule this out for you. There's things like the temp drop, which is a wearable thermometer that you wear on your arm while you're sleeping, and it takes your temperature all throughout the night and it filters out the temperatures where you may have gotten up, say, with kids, or maybe because you have insomnia, or maybe because you do shift work. And so it filters and finds the right temp, the best, most accurate temp, um, and it will use that temperature. So it you're not ruled out from using fertility awareness if you have irregular sleep schedules. Um, 
buying something like the temp drop costs a few hundred dollars, whereas buying an oral thermometer costs about $20. So it's just a matter of price. Now, on cost, I mean, it's a little bit of a time investment to learn fertility awareness to begin with. Um, but once you've learned it, there's no ongoing costs at all, unless you're like paying for a charting app that has a monthly subscription. Mm. So you might pay for your thermometer, you might pay for training from someone like me to begin with, or if you don't go down the route of a trainer, you might buy some books and diligently self-teach and those books would be part of the cost. Um, but there's no ongoing cost like there is, say, with the pill, which is one of the advantages. Okay, so you'd be taking your temperature every single morning. Now, what will happen when you ovulate? is that your temperatures will go up and they'll stay higher than they were before ovulation up until your next period. Mm. So you'll be able to observe that on your chart. You'll be able to see it happen retrospectively though. So only after your temperatures rise will you be able to see that you've, they've risen. And then it's usually the last day of lower temperatures that's the day around when you ovulated. So that temperature shift from low temperatures before ovulation to high temperatures after ovulation is your confirmation that you did ovulate and then you're going to have about two weeks of high temperatures before your next period now it can range from 11 to 17 days but usually for each person it's not a large range of 11 to 17 days which is like six or seven days six days yeah <laughs> <Mass. laughs> um usually like if your norm is 14 it will usually be around 14, so 13, 14, 15. Now, how helpful is that when it comes to predicting your next period? Because this is exactly the same if you've got a 28-day cycle and it is exactly the same if you've got a 90-day cycle or a 150-day cycle because you don't ovulate very often, maybe because you have PCOS. It's exactly the same. Whenever you see that temperature shift, it's going to be about two weeks until you get your next period. So it is so helpful for knowing when your next period is going to come and if you actually ovulate it and if that is a true period. Mm, so on that, and we'll obviously come back and we can speak about cervical fluid and things like that as well. But on that, I think why we're there, because I feel like for some people, they're like, okay, cool, I've ovulated. And they wouldn't actually connect the dots of what that means other than, cool, my body's like release an egg and my period's going to be due in two weeks. I want to talk about the pregnancy conversation really quick because a lot of people, me included, like five, nearly six years ago, I thought you could get pregnant any day of the month. That was my assumption. So can we speak about what change, what's different pre and post ovulation and when actually can we get pregnant? Oh my gosh, there's only about a 24 hour window where pregnancy is possible. Mm. So when we ovulate and that egg is released from our ovary, it only lives for about a day. Now that, there's also the situation where two eggs might be released. Now two eggs are not gonna be released a week apart from each other. They're not even gonna be released like three days apart from each other. They're going to be released within the same 24 hours of each other because after the first egg is released, it triggers hormones to be made in the body that stops ovulation happening again. So you're not going to ovulate again outside of that like 24 hours. So perhaps if two eggs were released um, and, and each of them has their own like about 12 to 24 hour lifespan, um, then, you know, we might get a, a little bit more than 24 hours where there's an egg there in the fallopian tube, but it is such a short amount of time. Mm -hmm. Now, a sperm cannot fertilize an egg 
if it's not in the fallopian tube. In other words, sperm can't like get inside our ovaries to yeah. find an egg. It has to be in the fallopian tube. So there's that about 24 hours where an egg is there. Now, let's talk about sperm's lifespan. Sperm can live in the right conditions for up to five days. So what that means is if someone was to have sex five days before ovulation, if it's the right conditions, which means if there's the right cervical mucus, the more wet, high water content type of cervical mucus, then that sperm from five days before ovulation could still be in the reproductive system, ready to find that egg at ovulation time. It also means that, so if you had sex with your partner, um, like five days before ovulation, and then that night you got on planes and went to separate countries and you're in different countries, and then five days later you ovulated, you could still get pregnant on that day of ovulation, even though you're in separate countries, yeah. which is really cool and wild to think about. The time that we're able to get pregnant is about the five days before ovulation and the day, day and a half to two days after ovulation, depending on how many eggs were released. So it's a window of about seven days. And when we are using fertility awareness, we are using cervical mucus to tell us that ovulation is approaching. And then we're using basal body temperature to tell us that ovulation is over. And using those signs, we will determine what are the days leading up to ovulation that we need to um, steer clear of sexual intercourse if we're trying to avoid or have sex if we're trying to conceive. And then when is ovulation over according to our basal body temperature shift when it's over we know that we can't get pregnant again until the next cycle so if you were trying to conceive you can chill out and relax until the next cycle and not put more pressure on yourself because there's no way you're going to get pregnant after that and if you're trying to avoid getting pregnant then this is the time where you can have unprotected sex risk-free after ovulation has finished and you've observed that it's finished Yeah, I love that because I remember when I first started doing the fertility awareness method and friends were like, but I fucking hate condoms. Like I remember that was kind of like the the analogy they would give me. And I was like, well, there's only really seven days that you need to use them. The rest of the time you're pretty safe to have um, unprotected sex, which is great. And a lot of people don't actually know. So what would people be looking for in terms of tracking their cervical fluid and seeing changes that makes them go, oh, I know ovulation's probably coming soon. What are they actually looking for there? Yeah, so cervical mucus can begin from when you finish your period, your period stops, you stop seeing blood and you see cervical mucus straight away. And everyone's different. Some people see some form of cervical mucus every day and some people only see a little bit now and then. And some people, especially as we get older as well, see barely any. Just because we can't see it doesn't mean it's not there. And this is where we rely on sensation. It creates a sensation at the vaginal opening. It's like some days you might go, did I just pee a little? Or like, did I wipe properly? Or like, do I have my period? Because it feels a little wet down there, but like I don't have my period. It's those days where that sensation is your fertile quality cervical mucus, telling you that it's there even though you can't see it. So what happens after our period is that estrogen is still pretty low. Estrogen has dropped off in order to trigger our period to happen. And it slowly starts to climb after our period is finished. It climbs to its highest point at ovulation time. 
Now, estrogen is what stimulates cervical mucus to be produced. So cervical mucus is mucus made by our cervix. The cervix is at the top of the vaginal canal. And as estrogen's rising, cervical mucus starts to get wetter. Now, usually drier cervical mucus that might look crumbly or flaky on your underwear, that is more acidic cervical mucus that sperm can't really survive and move in. They might die within a matter of hours in a vagina that doesn't have fertile quality wet, high water content cervical fluid. So as we move towards ovulation, the body is so intelligent and it produces more of this higher water content, highly fertile cervical mucus that sperm can survive for up to five days in. So the body knows exactly what it's doing to bring sperm and egg together. And so what that means is what we'll observe is that wetter type of cervical mucus in the lead up to ovulation. So in the few days leading up, and everyone's different, some people see it one day, some people see it three, everyone's different and it can depend on how much estrogen your body's making as well. So what it might look like is the typical, uh, what most people know is raw egg white. So it might stretch if you were to stretch it between two fingers, it's got more clear parts and it looks like raw egg white, but it doesn't only look like that. Sometimes it looks really watery and slippery and makes you feel lubricated at the vaginal opening. And these types are also really peak types of fluid that are highly fertile. The bottom line here is they've got a high water content and you can usually tell when it's wetter. Now you might see it on toilet paper or you might see it on your underwear and you also might feel it. This is telling us that we're highly fertile. Now if someone is using this to get pregnant, these are the days where you should have sex, the days where you see this really high water content, wet cervical mucus. If someone's trying to not get pregnant, these are the days to avoid. Now if someone's trying to not get pregnant, I do not recommend winging this at all. There's far too much risk in it. You need to learn the method because there's so much more um, intricacy to it and nuance to it than what I'm able to quickly describe in this podcast. So if someone's trying to avoid, I absolutely recommend diligently self-teaching or learning with a trainer because it's too risky to just wing it. Mm. Because I mentioned, we mentioned before that there's those seven days where pregnancy is possible. However, we're only confirming ovulation in retrospect. So there's actually more, a couple more days than just the five days before ovulation that may be considered fertile when you're using this as a birth control method. So it's really, really important to know the method and know the rules. But if you are trying to get pregnant, this is much lower risk. And those days where you see highly fertile mucus are definitely the days where you can conceive. Now, for people with PCOS, where there's multiple attempts at ovulation, so for instance, you get this peak cervical mucus that's really watery, really fertile, then it disappears and then it comes back again. And now where we where we see it disappear and come back, disappear and come back, that may be because the body is trying to ovulate and it's not succeeding the first time. So it has to come back and try again. And we see that reflected in the mucus. And that's that's common for people with PCOS. So that's why we then use basal body temperature to tell us, was this a successful attempt at ovulation? And if basal body temperature has risen, then yes, it was. If it hasn't, the body's gonna try again. So if you're trying to conceive, then keep an eye on your body temperature, 
recognize was that successful ovulation if it wasn't you can try again when you see peak wet cervical mucus again and if it was then you can stop and then you can see if you did get pregnant or you can try again next month when you see it you can see how something like uh, the taking the temperature, sorry, my dogs are having a moment. You can see how something like taking the temperature would be so valuable for someone with something like PCOS because as you were kind of speaking about before, we know that we always get our period approximately two weeks after we ovulate. So for someone who is having very irregular cycles and is wanting to be able to predict when they're going to have their period, they can obviously take the temperature and either know, okay, cool, it's going to be a bit of a longer cycle or they're going to get it and go, okay, cool. I know my period's probably going to come in about two weeks, which is, which is so fantastic. So obviously there's going to be different changes and, and the fertility awareness method can be so cool for contraception or conception because either way you're kind of getting those indications which I think is just so valuable and I think it's just going to be so cool for people to start having more understanding around their cycles what that means how to track it if people are wanting to find more learn more they're wanting to maybe come into your world how can they learn more from you go into more detail whether they're you know wanting to conceive or whether they're wanting to avoid pregnancy but maybe take um, you know a more natural approach or something like that how can they get amongst your world people can find all the information about the fertility awareness courses that i do on brightgirlhealth.com so bright like bright lights yes (laughs) bright girl health and i also have lots of information on my instagram which is just bright girl health as well i do one-on-one courses and group courses whether you're trying to conceive or whether you're trying to use this for hormonal birth control as well and we go through it in so much depth everyone always comes in and they're like I'm trying to do this myself, but my charts, like, I don't know what they mean. And it's so weird. And they come in really stressed. And by the end of it, I'm like, do you have any questions? And they're like, no, I, I understand it now. I'm, I fully get this. And, you know, you start to see people who are always freaking out that they're pregnant and they don't want to be because their period is late. You see them go from being stressed out every month to being like, oh, I just realized that I ovulated late this month, which means because ovulation was five days late, my period is going to be about five days late. And they no longer have to stress out that their period is five days late because they know to expect it five days later. I think that's so cool because I think back to my journey and I know when I started seeing my Chinese medicine herbalist, I, you know, something we were looking for was, you know, cervical fluid and things like that. And I would get you know, the cervical mucus. And I couldn't tell the difference like between like the crumbly and the sticky versus the egg white. And like, I was like, they're all the same to me. And then, you know, after a period of time and getting educated and getting support, I'm like, oh my gosh, they couldn't be more different. Like I totally get them. But at the start, it was so overwhelming because it was either like no cervical, cervical mucus or cervical mucus. There was no variety. Whereas now it's just like the most natural thing in the world where I'd be like, okay, cool. That's like I'm fertile. Like, I, I can tell that, which is, which is cool. So I think it's, it's such an important thing. And even what you said, coming back to the very start of this episode, we are going to be bleeding for like seven years. Like it's, 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 amazes me and obviously there's totally can be things like financial limitations and stuff like that but it's like if you have capacity to work with someone and get educated or buy a book I know that I bought the bright girl guide I don't know do you still sell that 
Yes, yes. Yes. Well, the Bright Girl Guide, it's a really great intro into all of this. Like, it is. Really simply put so that you don't have to like wrap your head around big complex things if you're just getting into it. Lots of pictures and diagrams to make it super digestible. But the book is not fertility awareness training. No, it's yes. So that that was kind of gave me a lot of understanding about my cycle. Again, coming back to me not even knowing that what ovulation versus like the follicular phase was and all the things. So coming to know the phases of my cycle and I think you use beautiful analogies um, for the phases as well. So even something like that was very, very helpful. But I think, yeah, just allowing yourself to have resources to be educated of like, this is something that you're going to experience for a very, very, very long time. And if you can do things within your power to make it a better experience, like absolutely, why wouldn't you? And then obviously I'm also very pro uh, fertility awareness method because it helped me conceive. And, and so, and it helped me also like contraception too, in the sense of, you know, I've been using it for close to five years and anytime I didn't want to be pregnant, I absolutely wasn't falling pregnant um, because I knew how to know when I was fertile and when I wasn't. So thank you so much for coming on today. We'll obviously link your Instagram and thing in the show notes so people can find you, but I just know so many people are going to have find this so informative. Oh my gosh. And so many people can stop stressing about their menstrual cycle and start just using it to their advantage. It's a tool that we have that like people who don't have a period, they don't have this tool and like we've got it. So like, let's use it. Absolutely. I love that. So well put. Thank you so much, Demi. Thank you for having me.